Today's episode is sponsored by By Heart, which is an infant nutrition company built from the ground up to deliver real innovation on behalf of babies and parents. Their mission is simple, make the best formula in the world. In our house, we never skim on family time together on the weekends. Instead of racing around crazy, we prioritize time at home, time to relax, time to do fun, crazy things that we wouldn't have ordinarily. And you know who else doesn't skim? By heart. By heart is the only American-made infant formula with globally sourced ingredients to use organic, grass-fed whole milk without a drop of skim. Whole milk is full of healthy fats like naturally occurring MFGM, which play an important role in baby's brain development and growth. Are you curious about ByHeart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com slash podcast with codename Zibby20 for a limited time. Hi, this is Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. And speaking of books, I have two of my own books coming out this spring and summer. Princess Charming is a picture book, which debuts on April 19th, and Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature, comes out on July 1st, and it is truly a labor of love. I hope you'll pre-order, order, and join me on tour as I go across the country. You can find out more at zibbyowens.com or bookendsmemoir.com. And you can follow me on Instagram at zibbyowens because I always post about everything. Enjoy the show. Hey, everyone. I need your help. If you love this podcast, you will love my children's book. It's called Princess Charming, and I am really trying to drum up pre-order sales. You might not know this, but before a book comes out is actually a really important time for the whole book's trajectory. So... Please pre-order Princess Charming, which comes out April 19th today. Just stop what you're doing and go do that, please. When it arrives on April 19th, you can give it to a loved one in your life, a niece, a grandchild, a child, a student, a kid walking by on the street, anybody. But if you could do this, here is my offer. If you email me your receipt showing me that you bought the book online somewhere and pre-ordered it, Email info at zibbyowens.com. That's info at zibbyowens.com. And I will pick 10 people to do a special giveaway project award to from my new Bonfire merch store, which you should also check out, which is um, the Zibby Owens Media Bonfire store where you can get all sorts of cool t-shirts and uh, tote bags and author sayings and all sorts of great stuff. So what did I say? 10 of you are going to get a special care package of your choice from the Bonfire store. And I will pick at random from all of you who pre-order the book. So if that wasn't clear, go pre-order Princess Charming. Again, it's called Princess Charming. It's my debut picture book. It's really cute and great. And it's illustrated by Holly Haddam. And then after you get the receipt, screenshot it or forward it to me at info at zibbyowens.com and you will be entered to win one of 10 exciting care packages. So go off and order. Thank you so much. Bye. Stephanie Ganji is the author of Carrie the Dog. She is a poet, novelist, short story writer, and essayist living and writing in New York City. Her debut novel, The Next, was published by St. Martin's Press, and her second, Carrie the Dog, is published by Algonquin Books. Ganji's work has appeared in, among others, Arts and Letters, Catapult, Electric Literature, Hippocrates, Poetry Anthology, Lit Hub, McSweeney's, New Ohio Review, Next Tribe, and The Wolfer. She's working on her third novel, The Good Provider. 
Welcome, Stephanie. Thank you so much for coming in. Moms don't have time to read books to discuss your beautiful novel, Carrie the Dog, which I was so captivated by. I loved it. I, you're a fabulous writer and the story was haunting and just fantastic. And I, wow, it was great. Thank you so much. Thank you. First of all, of course, Zibby, for having me. I'm a follower of yours and a fan. (laughs) And I just really do from the heart want to thank you for how much you do for books and writers. It's, you know, been a saving grace for me reading and writing too in the last two years. And especially today, you know, with the current events, it's just such a refuge. And you are, you know, one of our Sherpas. So thank you. Thanks for saying that. I know. I feel like this is my like dirty secret that I cope with everything by reading and like basically not dealing with everything. So I don't know. (laughs) I mean, it's better than other vices, I guess. So I don't know. (laughs) Anyway. Okay. For people who aren't familiar with Carrie the Dog yet, could you give like your little elevator pitch about what it's about? Sure. So Carrie the dog is about a woman who is taking stock of her life on the brink of age 60. And she's suffered trauma in her childhood and has figured out ways to navigate that trauma across a lifetime in ungraceful, awkward, wrong, crazy, and maybe not the healthiest ways. And yet, She has managed to make a life for herself and get where she is with all the trials and tribulations that we all experience. And now at 60, she's ready to go forward with more grace and more power. And she has to figure out what about herself provides that. And so it's a journey that is sounds very interior, and there are aspects of it that are very interior for her, but it's also, I think, a kind of a fun and um, also maybe even a little bit joyful journey for her, despite the trauma. Is that? That's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Nice job. I don't know why I start by putting all authors on the spot. It's really mean of me. I should I should really have a different introductory question, but I do like listeners. Well, you would think by this point I would be able to have that roll off. <laughs> no. That's okay. That's all right. I love the photographer Sally Mann, and I did a whole paper on her in college, and I've been following her ever since and read Hold Still and, you know, the whole thing. And so I was thinking about that photographer and how she took photos of her sort of inappropriate-esque controversial photos of her yeah. children, her three children, two boys and a girl. And I was thinking about that until it came up in the book and you actually referenced Sally Mann and made it like she was like in conversation with her almost in a way, like there was a dialogue, like as art does. Tell me a little bit if that influ- if her body of work influenced you, if that spurred this I mean, what, what, or or if that was related at all to what inspired you to write this story? Yeah, I mean, I am a huge Sally Mann fan, always have been. And, you know, that work was never something I saw as pornographic. Mm -hmm. It always felt to me like the children who were the subjects of her work, of course, much of her work, not all of her work, were very much themselves 
in the photographs. So this story is really about a mother who actually does exploit the kids and they are not themselves. Right. They are avatars for her own ghosts and her own life being haunted. And she's trying to work out her own issues through the kids. I don't see that so much with Sally Mann. This is also a I read everything, you know, of course, hold still the memoir and looked at a million zillion pictures. But this is also a mashup between Sally Mann, I think, and Diane Arbus. Mm -hmm. So Diane Arbus famously had a relationship with her poet brother, Howard Nemirov. And sorry about the sirens. I'm sure you can hear that. I'm literally, I thought they were out my door. It's the same. We could probably hear each other from across the park. But anyway. They're at at my door. (laughs) And so it's kind of a Sally Mann, Diane Arbus mashup through the lens of the art mother, Mm -hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like I really wanted to kind of explore that a little bit. I have, I'm a writer and I have adult daughters and I always think about what I write and how it impacts them. And in fact, in some cases that even drives what I write or what I don't write. Mm. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So it was some always, it's always on my mind because I'm very respectful of them And so I wanted to kind of explore what it would be like to explode that and not be respectful of the children. And just, I used the Sally Mann construct kind of as a device, Mm -hmm. but it's, I would say if we're looking at it from a psychological level, it's more Diane Arbacy than anything. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. There was a passage, well, there were so many passages that I was telling you, I dog-eared like 20 different pages of beautiful prose, but there was one just towards the beginning that I think sets the scene about her relationship with her mother, the main character's relationship be with her mother. And so I'll just read this one paragraph just to show how great a writer you are at the least. But Miriam Marks is long dead, and yet she's inside me where she has been my whole life, from before my life, from when I was cells inside her trying to gang up and become a person. She seeped in with her low murmur and cigarette smoke and darkroom chemicals. She's dead, and yet when I catch a whiff of sour wine at la- in last night's glass or the stubbed butts from my ashtray on the fire escape, it's like smelling salts. She's revived. Just the thought of green beans makes me gag, remembering how she would dump them from a can into a pot and heat them in their tinged water to show Albert she'd put something green on our plates. I would push them around with my fork, try to relax my throat, try to swallow to keep peace at the dinner table. Mary sat back with her wine, her cigarette, the squint that meant she was killing time until she could retreat to the dark room with the day's film. Thank you. I don't know. I could have read any passage, honestly, but that was a good (laughs) intro. I mean, it's really... The way she wrote about her mother, and obviously so many people have complicated relationships with their own mother, but this is a particularly fraught relationship. And how, as especially, especially as an adult, how do you look back and come to terms with someone who purports to love you and yet in their actions shows you the opposite, right? That the person you're supposed to trust the most is the one who has betrayed you? How do you, how do you come to terms with something like that? Even further, you know, maybe even one step deeper is then that becomes your definition of love, right? Right. That's true. Yeah. said this, uh, that is the atmosphere you breathe and it equals love. Mm -hmm. So without, 
You know, it's funny because every time I read for interviews, I'm so conscious. Almost every other page has a spoiler on it. So, you know, there's a lot of plot, a lot of things happen and some twists and turns. So, but, you know, the sense for B of figuring out how to define love for herself, Mm -hmm. that path for her is not easy Mm -hmm. and involves many, many compromises and mistakes and wrong turns and yet she there is some part of herself that wants love of course and needs it and understands that it is a lifelong quest for her mm-hmm. even though she rejects therapy and she's not the most introspective person but she understands that she's a seeker of love and i hope that we all have the gift of that in our lives i know it i'm 66 and at my age that is the number one goal is more love more love more love and so that i wanted to give be that revelation it's amazing at age 66 tell me about your writing career and this novel and i love the idea of an older female protagonist because it is so important i'm sort of obsessed as most people are with sort of what's coming next right like i'm like yeah. very much craving all these you know memoirs and novels about women a little older than me because i yeah. you know just to just to see you know like what's this is like the older siblings kind of i didn't have like so yeah. tell me a little bit about writing at this sort of stage, if you will, and how your whole career has sort of led to here. Yeah. You know, my whole career, which is, I put in scare quotes because it it was so fragmented and patchwork for many years. And I was always what I think Natalie Goldberg in Writing Down the Bones calls a shadow writer. Mm-hmm. So I always have had jobs like writing or of some kind of writing, but it wasn't actually fiction or essays, the you know kind of writing I'm doing now. So I wrote my debut novel at age, uh, I published my debut novel at age 60. And I loved when you said, you know, I'm always looking to see what comes next because the title of that novel is The Next. And I am, I too, am always interested to see what comes next. I, I do feel that I've suddenly woken up as kind of a canary in the cold mine of aging. And, you know, it's, it is beautiful to see how many new voices I'm hearing, Mm -hmm. certainly when my mother was my age, no one was talking about aging. I think my mother, she had four sisters. They used to whisper the menopause (laughs) word on the phone. (laughs) So it's great to hear and see, you know, to hear and see also represented women my age. I don't know one woman. I have a lot of female friends and I don't know any who are like the stereotypes of what we've come to know over the years that the culture has fed us, they're crazy dynamic and interesting and quite frankly, more than the men they're sometimes attached to. (laughs) The women all seem like all burners on, you know, just doing their thing, figuring out life at this age. And also like B, trying to figure out how to go forward with some grace And by integrating not only wisdom that they've acquired, but the many selves they've been, right? Like, I feel like I'm still adding selves and identity and 
it's not a process that stops. You don't, you know, stop growing and sit in a rocking chair. That's just, I don't know anybody like that. So I don't even have rocking chairs anymore. I know exactly. Where'd they all go? Exactly. I wouldn't mind a rocking chair now. (laughs) So, you know, I guess my, you know, path here was one that was kind of traditional. I was raised to be a wife and mother. And I don't think I realized that that wasn't enough for me until my kids started getting a little bit older. Mm -hmm. And I looked at all the work I had done and it was always writer adjacent. And I'd always written and it was a hobby and I never centered it and frankly, never valued it. I never saw myself in a, in the group of people in the world that would be published. And so I started playing around with a novel at 55. I had a corporate job. I was director of corporate communications, you know, always like a writer. And I kind of, I, embarrassingly, but I'll say it, had a big heartbreak in my mid-50s. And, you know, after my marriage and I was divorced and I was with somebody and it was a big heartbreak. And I had a friend over a glass of wine, of course, say to me, you got to stop talking about it. Just write it. And I thought, hell, (laughs) it was like a thunderclap. Like, yeah, I, yeah. So I did. And I remember saying to one of my daughters, first of all, I did that secretly, the writing of that first book for at least a year. And then once I said to one of my daughters, you know, I'm thinking about submitting this to an agent. And they were astonished and proud and said, if not you, who, you know, Mm -hmm. because they're my kids. (laughs) So they think I'm good. Um, (laughs) Not everybody's kids would think their mom was good. I know I am. I am in. You're obviously uh, close with them and, you know, very close and, uh, and also very lucky. In fact, I'm working on a, an essay right now about what I'm learning, what I'm learning from my adult daughters. They're 35 and 31 and every encounter is a learning for me. I think, you know, we, the, Tables have turned. Anyway, so I submitted that book to an agent. And as I still had a corporate job, I was getting up at 4.30 in the morning and writing for two hours, you know, the usual story. And it got sent back to me probably three times, easily three times, if not more. And so, you know, at that juncture, I had to say, am I really sticking with this at 58 Or am I setting it aside and getting my nice corporate paycheck? And, you know, and I just threw the cards up in the air and decided to take a leave of absence from my job, (laughs) which, which, you know, I live in New York City, so it's not necessarily the most financially sound decision (laughs) that I could have made. But it was like the one thing, only mine, Mm -hmm. that I had always wanted to do and never did. And the clock was ticking, you know, I was very conscious of that. And so that novel was published when I was 60. And this one was published when I was 65. And one of the things I love is that I insisted on putting my age in my back flap bio. Mm -hmm. Because I don't, I'm not invisible. I don't feel invisible. I know visibility is something we struggle with, but I feel I'm more visible to myself and denying everything that's come before seems crazy to me. So I 
you know, felt compelled to say, this is who I am and this is what I've achieved and I'm going to keep going whether you like my age or not. (laughs) I love that. That's so inspiring. It's so great. I mean, why not? The, The more experience you get and the wisdom and all of it, like it only makes you better, right? When we talk about practicing writing or practicing anything, it it only stands to reason that older women should be better writers. There should yeah, be more you know, and it's more. Funny. The thing about you know this kind of new window onto into aging, which by the way is of course being pioneered in a sense by women. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not the men talking about aging so much; it's women, and you know for cultural reasons, I understand that, but. You know, sometimes I read something and I have to remind myself that they're talking to me, you know, that I'm the aging person. I don't necessarily identify myself by my age. Mm -hmm. Now, that's not to say that age is just a number because I am a human in a body. So Mm -hmm. obviously I confront the mirror every single day, as does B. A mixed effect, you know, it's a mixed bag, right? But it, I don't feel like defined by my age. Mm-hmm. So I sort of am a little tiny bit resistant of all this age centric combo right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, it's absolutely 100% necessary. And, you know, I'm part of it. <laughs> I've written two books now about aging women and how they've had to adapt, but also how they resist adapting, which is also part of it, right? That's true. It's very true. true. (laughs) Okay. We can't bubble wrap our kids to keep them safe, but we can give ourselves some peace of mind now with the Life360 app, which I am obsessed with. I first heard about this from a girlfriend at a party who told me that this was the app to use. So I got it. And now I am obsessed. It's a family connection and safety app that lets you track the people and things that are most important to you. And it's much more than sharing location. It is about safety. It keeps families connected and protected throughout the day. Plus, it helps you find your things. So I have tiles, one of which I put on my phone, which I lose a 100 times a day, and I can find it through the app whenever I lose it. Also, it lets me put in locations of interest. So I get alerts when my kids reach school after taking the bus or when my husband gets to LA or whoever you want to track. You can do it with Life360 and feel very protected and safe and it makes life better. It makes peace of mind better. Life360 has my family's back when they're on the road, and I can track their stuff too if I need to. Plus, of course, it's a lifeline during emergencies because you can have crash detection to know if one of the kids is in an accident and with two almost driver's license kids, that is super important to me too. So put away the bubble wrap and protect your loved ones with Life360. Visit life360.com or download the app today and use code BOOKS, B-O-O-K-S, all caps, to get one month of the gold package for free, plus 15% off all tiles. That's life360.com, code BOOKS. Wait, why did you say it was embarrassing that you had a heartbreak? Why is that embarrassing? Oh, oh, you caught me. (laughs) 
<laughs> so it was a relationship that was probably, I should have known better in a sense, like right from the beginning, I knew it. But you know, there's a part of me, I think that has a certain, hopefully charming recklessness <laughs> where sometimes I just go for something because it's just too shiny to not. And I can't say I regret one second of it, but it did not go in the, in the direction that I'd hoped. And I was m- more heartbroken over the fact that I recognized that this relationship wasn't going in the right direction. And even though it was fantastic, I had to stop. Mm -hmm. And I had never really had to do something that was really hard to be in love and say, this is not going to end well for me. I wanted to age gracefully. And I felt that in the context of this relationship, that would have been harder to do. Uh, He was younger than I was. And we had a conscious uncoupling, (laughs) you know, kind of motivated by me. And I had to be a grown up and I had to honor my experience and my knowledge and my wisdom and say, this is not going well. And then I had to do something also hard, but obviously, which has led me here today to kind of wind around to your point, which is decide that maybe I'm a person who can't write my novel if I'm in a relationship like that. Mm. All consuming. I know lots of people do, but maybe I had to stop with the men. (laughs) Just focus on. And my kids were launched. So I had that runway. Mm -hmm. And so that's why it's a little bit embarrassing because it's, you know, my writing life has been so impacted by my personal life. And I even had to sort of strip down my personal life in order to get this work done. And of course, that's been the right decision. Of course, you know, absolutely. So that's why it's embarrassing because it's revealing more than I want to (laughs) reveal. Well, I don't think it's embarrassing. I think that's super relatable. Everybody has, you know, been in relationships that maybe they're not proud of, or maybe they knew wasn't right. They might not be right, but you you know, all of that. I just saw it all. I, yeah. Well, good for you. I mean, yeah. Exactly. Putting on the brakes. I mean, that's the uh, bonus and also the curse of being in your mid fifties. It's like, okay. Meanwhile, you have some stuff in here about, you know, later in life sexuality with the egg whites. Is that a thing? Is that a thing? I was like, reading. I was like, I didn't even know that. That is a thing. I'm not going to reveal how I know that, but it is definitely a thing. I don't know if it's like a medically approved thing. (laughs) I don't recommend anybody experiment with that (laughs) on my say so, because I don't really, I'm a fiction writer, but no, it is, it is a thing. That's so funny. Oh my gosh. We were talking before we started recording about how I was saying this is such a great movie. This feels like such an indie film, like dark and amazing. And I can just like see it and feel it. Maybe because you wrote in such a visual way to begin with that I already feel like I saw the whole thing in my head. And you were having some casting. Were you having some casting? So who who is it? Who is your wish list? On, oh, on so I love like a Give Me a Maura Tierney or a Diane Lane, even Robin Wright, who's, mm-hmm. you know, just complex women who you can always see that there's a lot going on behind their eyes in a sense. Mm-hmm. 
And so, of course, I want that. But also this character has a lightness to her and, you know, a love of life that nothing, no trauma has really flattened. And as many times as she falls down, she gets up. And so there's an openness too that, you know, I think would be so wonderful to capture on screen. I love how she navigates her looks mm-hmm. and still cares about them yep. and is trying to figure out a new way to look at herself mm-hmm. so that the changes aren't depressing every day mm-hmm. because, you know, I'm sure, you know, and I know, and sometimes I do it too. There's, you know, some days where I just can't get out of my own way looks wise. And, mm-hmm. and I'm like, I am literally avoiding mirrors And so I wanted to capture that, but I didn't want it to be handicapping her. I mean, she has to figure out how to manage that and keep Mm -hmm. moving and also not present it to the world. Because if you're truly vain, you don't want anyone to see all that going on. (laughs) You want to manage that presentation to the world. (laughs) You're such a, like, you're really beautiful, like an elegant Woman, no, seriously, the fact that you would have a day where you're like avoiding the mirror. I mean, seriously, you have such a elegant look. Oh. I'm like, really? You're going to wake up and avoid the mirror? Then what does it say about the rest of the people? You know? <laughs> yeah, I, of course I struggle. I mean, I had a mother who was, you know, I, yeah, but, uh, yeah. as my daughter would say, okay, boomer, don't start launching into, you know, all this. It's a long time ago and long forgotten. But, you know, certainly I had a great mother, but she did dump green beans in a can, in a can, into a pot. And she was very concerned with presentation is the way I'd put it. And that's something that I have, you know, worked to leave behind. Mostly. (laughs) My my grandmother passed away recently at 97 and, you know, was going to curves until the end. And should I eat this? Should I not? And all that. And she, but what she did say to me, she's like, you know, nobody told me I looked good until I was like 90. She's like, all of a sudden, everybody's like, you look amazing. She's like, I've never looked better. (laughs) I love the curves thing. That is brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. 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 So what do you like to read? Oh, I just actually, I keep a list, of course. I don't even know why I keep a list of everything I read, but I'm going to just take a quick look at it. I mean, I'm sure you do, but it's your job. I guess it's my job too. Oh, I read the Elizabeth Strout. I loved. Mm -hmm. Oh, William. Mm -hmm. It was great. I loved... I actually really liked the Franzen. I know that's controversial these days, especially with women writers, but I kind of liked it. I thought he took on the topic of religion in a way that was very balanced and it is a fraught topic. Mm-hmm. And I thought he did a pretty good job with it. So I loved that. I've been reading Joan Silber, which whom mm-hmm. I've never read. And wow, you know, I feel like I've stumbled into this land of wonders and it just, an amazing writer. I read The Inland Sea, Hmm. which is a climate change novel set in Australia, but it's also very Sally Mm Rooney-ish. It's about a relationship. The relationship is kind of the backdrop. I mean, the climate change is kind of the backdrop to the relationship stuff. And I thought that was great. I'm just starting, I'm hoping to write a little bit of a more, I'm working on a third novel and called The Good Provider. And it's a little bit more, I don't want to use the word thriller because it's too early in the process Mm -hmm. for me to say I'm doing that, but 
So I'm reading some Graham Greene now, just that, you know, kind of old school, slow unfolding of tension. I love that as a reader. Yep. So that's my short list. Yeah, there's more, many that's more. Awesome. No, I love it. I love it. Yeah, I keep I keep reading. I keep looking. I'm always taking notes on what you're reading. <laughs> <laughs> okay, last question. What advice do you have for aspiring authors? Oh, I mean, my day job in a sense is I do edit, editorial development with writers. And in fact, I'm looking, I keep glancing over to my left. I know we're on a podcast, but I keep looking to my left because I have four manuscripts right now that are in the end stages of work with these each of these authors. And one of the things that I have come to learn in a very compressed time frame, because I started so late and I learned I had to learn on the job in a sense. I don't have an MFA. I'm not a big writing workshop person. But along the way, the issues you face that slow you down or make you feel like you can't do it are not like those issues weren't Stephanie issues. Mm -hmm. They were writer issues. And I didn't really know that. I thought I was making, I couldn't Mm -hmm. do it. I wasn't experienced enough. I hadn't had an MFA program. And then the more craft I read and listened to online, the more I understood that every time I hit like a big challenge, it was a challenge that other writers had hit too Mm -hmm. at that same point in time. You know, the dead middle. I mean, I could go through a long list. So one of the things that's been most gratifying in working with other writers is to open their eyes to that moment when they feel like I'm just not cut out for this. It's too hard because novel writing is hard. It's Mm -hmm. world building. But is to help them understand that that's part of the process. That's not a stop sign. That's a yield sign. Mm. I love so that. that's been very gratifying because I work with such talented people who are who I want to succeed. You know, <laughs> I have a lot invested in it. And so seeing that realization occur for me is like, it's just fantastic. Really good. So that's my big kind of headline news about that, which is it's process, not failure. Amazing. Stephanie, thank you. Thank you for all this. I want to like continue this over lunch or something. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm glad we're so close by and that that's, that could be in the cards. And I, again, Absolutely. I just loved this book and your writing style and I can't wait to read your next book. And now I have to go back and read your last book, but anyway. Oh yeah. That one's a little bit of a romp. I okay. think you'll all right. I like it. it. And I like that sleeping dog in the background. So thank you. Yes. yeah, that helps. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 